right. Good morning, Faith Church. How's it going, everybody? Hey, welcome. It's good to have you in the house. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here. Just want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. Can we welcome our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg? Hey, man, it's great to have you guys. To all of our VIPs and guests, man, it's great to have you here as well. Hey, listen, I know it was already said kind of in the commercial, but I just want to say this. Um, again, Chad Veach, if you don't know who Chad Veach is, let me say it this way. It's Justin Bieber's pastor. Now, I'm not saying Justin Bieber's coming with him, but I'm not saying he's not coming. We're going to drop that right there. <laughs> hey, listen, it's great to have everybody here. We try to say this every week, that we believe that Jesus, he is the hope of the world. I'm telling you, listen, if you're, don't, don't get in this for the religious game, but if you're here and you're struggling, you're hurting, no matter what, chan uh, what situation you find yourself in life, what stage, if you have opportunities in front of you, struggles behind you, or issues all around you, Jesus will meet you right where you are, and he will give you grace, and he will give you strength, and he will give you hope. He is your hope. He's our hope. Come on, one more time. Can we thank him all over this house? Come on, Lawrenceburg. Let's give Jesus our best praise. Let me ask a question. Come on, just a little poll. When you hear your favorite subject, give me a little shout out. Talking about back in the day in school, how many here, your favorite subject was math? Make some noise. Come on, three? Wonder behind the world. Uh, what about science? What about uh, English? History. Fall break. Woo. That's what I'm talking about, some fall break. <laughs> well, we, uh, in, the middle of this, uh, in the middle of this series, we have to take just a little walk through history. So I know it's not everybody's favorite, but it helps us to understand not just where we were, but really where we are as spiritual people, as God's people. And if you're not yet included in that, I want you to know still what we're talking about through this series, Soul of Food, will help you maybe take that step a little closer towards Christ. See, we introduced this idea last week that 500 years ago, uh, in 1517, there was a really powerful moment that happened in history. What brought it up to that was a collision between two things, that first of all, the church had lost its way. The church had begun to teach something really that was contrary to what Christ taught, that ultimately the church at that time began to somehow teach that salvation, that forgiveness was something that we could somehow earn, even by. In fact, at that time, the church began to sell these things called indulgences, which meant if you put money in, you could basically take forgiveness out. You could deposit money and withdraw forgiveness. It was a monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. And at the same time, the church was teaching really this, this heresy, frankly, is what it was. There was a group of men who ultimately became known as the Reformers. And the Reformers stood up basically in protest against the church to basically announced really what they knew Scripture taught. The Reformers was spearheaded by a guy by the name of Martin Luther, not the great Martin Luther King Jr. Last week we said he was the OG Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, and he was the spearhead to what was ultimately known as the Reformation. See, these group of guys, they recaptured what Scripture was teaching over what the church was teaching. And all of them together basically came to this conclusion by reading the Bible, this right here, that Forgiveness is a gift that was purchased by Christ and could never be earned by man. And so ultimately through that, through these group of men, again, brought us to this place, the Great Reformation. And so here we are today, and you might say, what does that have to do with me? It's because it's recaptured the essence of spirituality. What they taught recaptured really the foundation of what it means to be 
a Christ follower. And so, uh, man, last week we looked at this beginning of this series because the great reformers really taught five things. Everything they taught could be narrowed down to these five statements. They all include the word sola. Sola is a Latin word that means alone. Everybody say alone. Which means as we talk about, as we talk about forgiveness, as we talk about heaven, as we talk about a relationship with God, it's never anything that you can contribute. It's only through these things alone. And they taught five things. They taught this, sola scriptura. We're saved by scripture alone. Last week, we talked about this, that again, that while traditions are a great thing, and there are even traditions in churches, ultimately what Martin Luther and the reformers said was, it doesn't matter what popes say, what preachers say, what pastors say, or what priests say. Scripture is always our highest authority. Scripture trumps tradition. And so that means maybe some of you grew up in a church or you grew up outside a church. And we have certain things that we believe, certain things we've heard other people say. As you read God's word, if you bump into something that goes contrary to what your tradition tells you, tradition loses. Scripture always trumps tradition. And so today I want to look at the rest of these. Uh, the second one, sola fide is by faith alone. We'll look at that in a few weeks. Sola gratia is by grace alone. Sola Christus is by Christ alone, and sola de gloria is by, for God's glory alone. So we are saved through scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Everybody shout alone. So let me, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you in this room have ever received some type of trophy or award or certificate for something maybe you did in school, in sports, maybe in the workplace? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on, you got some type of recognition. Wave at me, wave at me. A couple of you, some of you need to step your game up, you'll get more recognition. <laughs> Let me ask another question. How many of you have ever received some type of trophy or award for something you didn't deserve? Wave at me. Oh, yeah, a little less, a little less. What I'm talking about, yeah, baby, is the dreaded participation award, the participation trophy. Here's what's crazy is the participation trophy has somehow been pawned off on the millennials, like somehow that was their idea or it was only in their generation. I'm a Gen Xer, and I'm telling you the participation award has been around much longer. In fact, they was all the way back in my day. In my generation, we got trophies and awards for things that we didn't earn, we didn't deserve. They didn't call it a participation award, though. They called it a merit award. Like all the good people, all the qualified people, all the people who really excelled, they got an honor award. Everybody else who showed up got a merit award. <laughs> Come on, anybody here ever get a merit award? <laughs> Here's merit. This, this will help us where we're going. The word merit is the quality of being particularly good or worthy, especially so as deserve praise or reward. Really, the merit reward in my day, it's an oxymoron because you got something you didn't deserve even though the word merit says you deserve it. Let me just give you a great example that will humiliate you that I'm your pastor, but here we go. So some of you who've been in the faith game for a little while know that, um, you know, I, I've mentioned this. I just naturally excelled in school. Um, I, I didn't try. I didn't really put forth a lot of effort, especially in math and science. It's just kind of in my wheelhouse. And so I was always in the top classes, but I was in the bottom of the top classes because I was in the classes with all the tryhards, but I was the only one not trying. Come on. <laughs> and so uh, I took all the AP classes, AP chemistry and AP physics and AP history and AP, AP, AP. But I just never tried. But I'll never forget, I was a sophomore in high school, and my physics teacher came up and gave me and a friend of mine who was a junior, Big Rob, 
invited Big Rob and I to a physics invitational. It was um, this, I guess, this great weekend we were invited to. And I'll never forget, the teacher walked up and said, Steve, I want you and Rob to participate in this. There was two other teams of two going. We each had a section that we would participate in at this physics, uh, what an invitational. And so he hands us this packet. I don't know, 5, 10, 20 pages. Uh, I don't know how thick it was because, honestly, I didn't read it. And so the morning of the event came, and uh, Big Rob and I, we showed up in the parking lot with these two other teams, and uh, our physics teacher who's going to drive us to the event. And when we showed up, we could tell something was wrong immediately because the other two teams were holding things that they had built. And we weren't holding anything. And our... <laughs> It's embarrassing, but it's life. This is, why I'm a, this is why I really push hard to be a great leader, because it's a gift. Listen, you ought to always use your gifts. You ought to maximize the gifts and talents. Never take them for granted. I took them for granted as a, as a youth. I don't take them for granted anymore. This is when I just took it for granted. So Big Rob and I, we showed up, and I'll never forget our physics teacher said, hey, uh, <laughs> where's your entry? And we're like, what are you talking about? He said, didn't you read the packet I gave you? And I, we both like, no, we thought you read it. Well, here, unbeknownst to us, we were supposed to have built something that that morning was going to be dropped from 20 foot, and it had to be under a certain weight, under a certain size, and it have to, had to withstand putting an egg in it that the egg wouldn't break, and it had to minimize the bounce, how far it would bounce. And so if it didn't break and it hit the goal and didn't bounce, you won. And so since we didn't have anything, we convinced our, <laughs> we convinced our teacher to stop and get a few newspaper and duct tape. Because how many people know duct tape and super glue fixes everything? And so we just bought up some, some newspaper and duct taped it around. Basically, we built like a large paper egg to hold our egg. Now, before you judge me too harshly, I'll have you know that it was underweight, undersized, and our egg didn't break. But it bounced, and it's probably still bouncing. <laughs> and I remember the time came that, like, every team had to, and, like, these egg heads had these big contraptions with springs and when the time came for one of us to climb the ladder with our paper thing, our last-minute paper mache, we're both arguing. I'm not climbing. You climb. I got Big Rob to climb the ladder. Here's what's crazy is when it was all over, we were in utter humiliation to the Akron Public School System. I just want to apologize. Mr. Royce, if you're watching this, we're sorry for the disrespect and dishonor we brought to our school. But here's what's crazy. When it was all said and done, all the, all the top-tier talent got an award, got a trophy. But they weren't the only ones. Everyone got a trophy, including us. I'm just telling you, we got a trophy that we didn't deserve. We got an honor. <laughs> there is no way. I'm telling you, there had to be like a little gathering in the back like, we can't give them one. <laughs> but they gave us one. Here's, here's what I want you to know is, we got something that we didn't deserve, and that's exactly one of the solas that Martin Luther declared, is that's what grace is. Grace is giving us something that we could never earn and we could never deserve. I want you to know something. All of you in this room, if you are new to the game or you've been following Christ for a long time, we are all in this room. We are saved by grace alone, just grace and only grace. We all get not even a participation award. What Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary, he didn't do it for the winning team. He didn't do it for the losing team. He made a gift available. Even if you didn't sign up for the, ge the game, the gift of grace is available to all of us. Grace is unmerited, 
in unearned love in favor of God. Grace is something you can never buy, never earn. You're not good enough to bank on it. You're not good enough to earn it. You don't do enough good deeds to make it yours. It's something that none of us deserve. None of us can earn. But Jesus has made available grace alone. Grace pays the bill that merit never will. Grace pays the way. It pays off our sin debt in a way that our personal effort never could. Let me tell you why this conversation is so important. 500 years later, after Martin Luther made the claim, made the statement, sola gratia, by grace alone. Here's why it's still a big deal. It's because if I were to ask any of you in this room, any of you in Lawrenceburg, anybody watching online, if I were to ask you this question, are you going to heaven? If you died today, would you go to heaven? Think about immediately what your response would be. Many of us in this room would immediately begin to think about, am I good enough? We begin to make statements like this. I mean, I think so. I've been a pretty good guy. I've worked hard all my life. Most of us in this room, if we were to answer the question, if we were to die, would we go to heaven? Most of us would begin to look at ourselves and say, am I good enough? Some of you would be honest and say, man, I've I've blown it pretty bad. I've, I've messed up a lot of my life. I don't think I would make it. But the point is, no matter how good you think you are, how bad you think you are, Most of us look at ourselves to answer the question, am I qualified for heaven? And the fact that you're looking at yourself means you're looking the wrong direction. And we need to pull back and take another look at by grace alone. Everybody shout alone. By grace alone. Paul, he answers this question in a letter to the church in Ephesus. We're going to look at this in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there in just a second. But again, I want you to know something, that grace, grace is something that I think a lot of us in this room, we wrestle with it because I think we either don't understand, we don't understand the power of sin, or we underestimate the power of grace. Sin is such a, is such a big word, and we're going to find that Paul, he introduces this word to us, and he includes us in this conversation, that sin is a real problem for all of us, but grace is always a solution for all of us. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. He says, come on, every voice here, read it. Lawrenceburg, read it with me. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. I want you to notice how he opens this up. He said that we were dead. Everybody shout dead. We were dead because of sin. So I want you to know something. We're not bad people. We're dead people. Paul is saying that sin has this power to kill us spiritually. It separates us from the source of life. That's what sin does. It separates us from God, and he is the only source of life, and So ultimately, man, that's how sin kills us. And he wrestles through this topic. And again, sin is such a pesky word, isn't it? Like we don't even use that word. We all probably have some understanding of its meaning. It's almost like we, we messed up. Sin is to fall short, to make a mistake. But think about it. We don't, we don't use that word in any other context. You don't get pulled over by a police officer and, you know, police officer like, sir, I pulled you over because you were sinning, <laughs> though I was. 
right? He doesn't say, your boss doesn't pull you in and, hey, you, you, know, you fell short, you, did, you missed the metrics, you didn't make your goal. Hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. You sinned against the company. When we discipline our kids because they don't make their beds or pick up their dishes, we don't say, hey, you're grounded because you sinned this week. Like, we don't use that word. Do you know why? Because sin is a very exclusive word. It's bigger than making mistakes or falling short. The definition of sin ultimately is to transgress or to break God's law. So when we use the word sin, it supposes a few things. It supposes at first there is some moral, there's some moral standard. And that there is some moral judge that holds us to that standard. Sin. And here's what Paul says. Paul says all of us have sinned. That includes you and that includes me. That includes all. Like sin is a real problem. Again, we're not bad people. We're dead people. And everywhere we look, we see the effects of sin. Like all you have to do is look around you. And we see it around us. But the issue is it's not just a them problem. And it's not even just a us problem. It's a, it's a me problem. Again, we don't see it that way. Again, we underestimate the power of sin because a lot of us in this room, we don't think we're really bad people. And so Paul, or Jesus, he raises the bar to help us to understand really how broken we are, that we live in a broken world, a fallen world, a sinful world. And he raises, he says, it's not just about your actions, it's about your heart. So if you're like hanging out, you're like, I've never killed anybody. I've never spent any time in jail. Like I've never stolen anything except a candy bar. Like, I'm probably making heaven. You know, Jesus raises the game, and he says things like this. He says, listen, he says, if you've ever even looked at a woman in lust, if you've ever even looked at somebody else in lust, you committed adultery in your heart. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever looked at somebody in lust? Let's try it again. Because maybe I'm special. I, maybe I don't know. But if, <laughs> if you've ever deleted your cash on the computer, oh, he's getting real now. You ever have a girl hanging on the wall in a bikini? Ladies, Justin Bieber, he ain't got a shirt on. He's all oiled up. You know, uh, I'm just telling you, if you, let me ask you. If you've ever looked at anybody with lust, raise your hand. You are all adulterers. And for all you that still refuse to raise your hands, you're liars too. He says, if you've ever coveted what somebody has, you're a thief. So again, this self-righteous thing, like I'm not so bad, Jesus raises the bar. Listen, because he wants us to see how desperate we are, how much we need grace. We're not good people like we think we are. We might be better than each other, but compared to the standard of God, we all fall short. And so we're adulterers, and we're because Jesus, he doesn't judge by just an action standard. He judges by a heart standard. It's not just what we, what we did. He judges us by what we wish we would have done. Oh, come on, somebody. And so he throws it out there to make us to realize that we all are a candidate. We all need grace because we all have sin in our life, and it's killed us spiritually. It's separated us from our creator. And while we think we're good, we're not good enough. Think about how we measure our goodness. A few months ago, I was on my way to school. I had to fly out of uh, Nashville, so I left my house about 3.30 in the morning. I'm headed up to the airport. My flight leaves at 6.10 in the morning. I'm rolling. I'm kind of half tired because it's a Monday morning, and I'll be honest, back in the day, I used to get hangovers on Friday, Saturday. Now I got Monday morning hangovers after doing this all weekend. And so I'm like groggy, tired. I'm rolling up there. I get about 10 minutes from the airport, and I hear my tire go, and then and I had a flat tire pulled over to the side of the road 10 minutes from the airport. 
And I had a quick decision to make. Do I get out and attempt to change this tire and possibly still make my flight or tap out and get the next one? And the voice of my dad, like, you know, I don't get like angels. I get like my dad popped up on my shoulder and said, son, you better get out and change that tire. <laughs> and so I get my jack out. I get the tire. And I'm telling you, listen, don't dare change a tire on 65 unless you know for sure you're going to heaven. Because <laughs> I'm kind of, the car's like, like the car's tipping. I might have cussed in my head a couple times, which according to Jesus, I might as well have said it. <laughs> don't judge me. So I'm, I'm hot, it's sweaty, it's humid in the morning, I'm running late, I'm trying to make this tire happen, and so far, like, I'm not too dirty, but I picked this big, heavy tire up, my tires are huge, and I, it was underneath my car, so when I picked it up, all this water, dirt, mud rolled all over me, up my arms, down my sleeves, I got the tire almost changed, and the city workers that rolled around there to help you change tires came when it was almost over, sir, can I help you? Let me punch you in the throat. That's what you could do for me right now. <laughs> Literally, all he did was double-check my lug nuts to make sure they're tight enough. Then I left, and he kept my lug wrench. I'm still looking for you. <laughs> so I get there. Here's the good news is I made my flight. I look like a homeless person. I didn't even have time to wash my hands before I went to the ticket counter. I, like, I was dirty. It was horrible. I felt bad for the person that was sitting next to me, but I made my flight. But... There have been times I've missed my flights. Anybody here ever missed a flight before? Let me ask you a question. Does it matter if you're 30 seconds late or 30 minutes late or three days late? It doesn't matter. If you miss your flight, you're all stuck. As far as us being good enough, some of you are only 30 seconds late, some of you are 30 minutes late, and some of you are three days late. What I want you to know is none of us can make the flight to heaven without Jesus. We all fall short, and we all miss the flight. So there's a real problem of sin that all of us have. And then Paul introduces the solution, and I love these two words. Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, these first two words, come on, shout them with me. But God, don't you love it that God has the last word, that he's got the final say? No matter what your struggle is, his strength is the answer, that his peace is the solution. Come on, has anybody here had a but God moment that you were going through, but God showed up and God brought you through? You were facing something that was big, but God showed up and he delivered you, he provided let's give God praise because he's a but God God come on so Paul he lays it down he lays out the issue of sin that all of us have because again we underestimate the power of sin we convince ourselves we're good enough but he says no you're not good you're dead but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much isn't that powerful See, we, we wrestle with the tension of those two ideas. In the American church, we fall on one side or the other. We're terrible sinners or God is good and he loves us. Which is it? Both. You're a terrible sinner and God loves you. You are worse than you thought you were and God loves you more than you deserve. Come on, somebody. It's the tension of those two. We are sinners, but God loves us with rich mercy. He says this, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Read it with me. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, by grace alone. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. The solution to our sin is grace alone. No matter how bad you are, grace is your solution. No matter how good you are, you're not good enough. 
And so while sin killed us, we find life. See, salvation is this. We're not, we're not lost people in need of direction. We're not weak people in need of strength. We're not sick people in need of healing. We are dead people in need of life. You can get wisdom. You can find strength. But life is only God's prerogative. And he gives life to everyone who will come to him and say, God, I could never get it on my own. We are saved by grace alone. Grace pays the bill that merit never will. And so he goes on. Listen, this is a great quote. Um, Philip Yancey, he says this, God loves people because of who he is, not because of who we are. Isn't that powerful? It's not us. Man, it's just who he is. It's in his nature to love us. And he loves us not because of us. He loves us in spite of us and offers a way for us to spend eternity with him. And he finishes up. He says this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, this whole section. He reminds us, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. We'll come back to belief in a few weeks. He saved us by grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You weren't good enough when you got in the game, and you're not good enough to stay in the game. I don't know about you, but I truly, I think we wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. I think churches wrestle with this, that the longer we're in our spiritual journey, the longer we're in a relationship with Christ, it's like the more we think we earned it. When I got saved, I knew, man, I, I cried because I knew who I was. I knew what I had done. I knew how I treated people. I knew decisions I had made. I knew there was nothing I deserved to go to heaven, nothing I could do to, to reconnect with God. But I'm just telling you, listen, the longer I'm in this game, I start thinking I'm pretty good. And I start thinking, you know, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but there's an asterisk by it. Like, look at my list of deeds at the bottom. And sometimes as churches, we start thinking that churches are for church people. Churches are for church people. Churches are for all people. Because grace was God's idea, and church people don't need grace. All people need grace. And so he's reminding you, see, the, the power of this, the power of what, what Paul is writing is this. He's writing this to church people. The book of Ephesians is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Ephesus, a church he established. He went and he preached the gospel to them that, hey, you're saved by grace. You're not saved by anything you do. You can't earn it, so you can't brag on it because you have it. But he's writing it to Christians because he's reminding them, this is how you got where you are. Don't forget. Which means if you knew you weren't good enough to get it, don't start counting on yourself now either. Because sometimes we'll start to think, you know what, man, I'm, I'm screwing up pretty bad. Sometimes we get in these things, don't we, in our life where, like, things are rolling okay and all of a sudden we start struggling. Sometimes we go back to old sins or old issues or old habits. Sometimes we go back to old mindsets. And if you ever think it's about you, you'll start to wonder, am I still saved? What got you saved keeps you saved, and it's always grace alone. But grace doesn't just save us. Grace changes us. I want to give you four things Paul talks about because the power of grace, yeah, it, it is a thing that saves us. We are saved by grace alone. But I'm telling you, when grace gets in your life, when you open your heart up to the grace of God, it will change you and transform you. And some other things will happen in your life. Unmerited favor is the catalyst for an unmatched lifestyle. When grace gets in, it'll change you without. Four things real quick I want you to write down. Here's four things Paul mentions about the power of grace in our life. When it gets in, when we recognize we need it, when we recognize the solution, number one, grace is the catalyst for compassion. 
Grace is the catalyst for compassion. You know, it's easy to look at other people and judge them. People walking in the door of the church or people walking in the door of your workplace and think, man, they need to get it together. Man, they need to quit that foolishness. They need to stop what they're doing. And you know what really we should give them? We should give them grace because that's what we needed in our situation. Paul said this, I love it, in Ephesians 2.11, coming out of the conversation we just read, Paul said, don't forget, everybody say don't forget, don't forget that you Gentiles, you used to be outsiders too. And you know what got you on the inside? It wasn't your ID access card because your mom or your daddy was the church member, elder, deacon, bishop, president, pastor. What got you on the inside and how much scripture you read, how much money you gave, your access card to heaven was grace alone. So he says, don't forget how you got in. That's how everybody else is going to get in too. So we give people grace because we needed grace ourselves. And we refused to give what we needed. We'll talk about this another time, but Jesus says it starts to cut you off from what you need. The more you give it, the more you get it. The less you give it, the less you'll receive it. Grace is a powerful thing. It's a catalyst for compassion. Number two, it's a catalyst for praise. Come on, somebody. Listen, it's funny, you know, on a Sunday morning watching all kinds of new people, and there's people here, you're brand new to church, and some of you here have been been here a long time, but I'm just telling you something. Listen, praise is an opportunity for us to express our extreme gratitude for God's extreme generosity. When we sing and we celebrate and we lift our hands, that's our time to tell God, thank you for what you've done. We're singing about you. We're singing about your goodness. We're celebrating the grace alone to save me. And some people will say, Pastor, I just, you know, I'm just reserved. It's just not within my personality. Let me tell you something. Your level of praise is not, about, is not a reflection of your personality. It's a reflection of your understanding of grace. Here's how I know it. I'm waiting for the day. I'm waiting for the day. I'm probably like some of you guys. I don't like when my phone rings and it's not somebody I recognize because I'm not answering it. I might recognize it and still not answer it. Come on, text me, baby. Amen. Come on. I got an amen. I finally got me one. And number two, I hate when my doorbell rings. Come on, somebody, let's be honest. The day of, you know, my wife got a, like a little rug in the front, welcome. I flipped that thing over. Go away. That's what it says on the other side. Go away. But I'm waiting for the day that I look out. Come on, anybody else waiting for this day? And Publishers Clearinghouse shows up at my door. Listen, if I see anybody holding balloons at my door, I'm running to the door. Somebody holding a big cardboard check. Steve Husky, you won $26 million. Woo! I'm telling you, listen, if I win $26 million, I'm going to lose my mind. It don't matter what I have on. I'm coming to the door quick. I'm coming out and celebrating. I'm dancing up and down the street. Come on. I'm kissing the person who has the balloons on the mouth, male or female. I'm getting it on because it's $26 million. How many people would lose your mind over $26 million? Listen, if you ain't raising your hand right now, you got it like that, and we need to become friends. But me, $26 $26 million. 
Now, let me just tell you something. If you will lose your mind over $26 million, it's because you overestimate money and you underestimate grace. Grace is more powerful than money, more enduring than money. When your money is gone, when it's spent, when moths eat it up, when it rusts away, your salvation in Christ endures forever, for all time. It's established. It's the foundation. It saves you now. It saves you then. Grace is greater than money. If you'll lose your mind for $26 million, you ought to lose your mind for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ every time we have opportunity. Watch what Paul said. So Paul, he's writing this. He's saying, man, we were saved by grace. We were dead in sin, but, but Christ made us alive. And then he makes statements like this. When I think of all this, like his mind is, is so overwhelmed with God's grace. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to my father. He says, man, he says, grace is a catalyst for praise. When I think about grace, it drives me to worship God. Number three, grace is a catalyst for missions. It's a catalyst for missions. Do you know why we do what we do here? We take in almost, this will, if anybody ever wondered, this, this year we'll take in probably $3.8 million as a church. That's a lot of money, ain't it? Thanks. You guys must have far more money than I personally realized. But we make sure money goes out. And we establish missions. And we, we have a mission team going to Guatemala in a few months. We have another mission team going to Oklahoma City. We have a missions team going to Honduras. And we build Bible colleges and training centers and fill food banks. And we help people here locally. We help people nationally. We establish missions all over the world. Do you know why? Because I want everybody else to experience the grace that I've experienced. Paul says this. Paul says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of the Gentiles... Assuming, by the way, you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to the Gentiles. He said, man, grace changed me, and I want everybody else to have the same experience that I had. So he said, I'm extending grace to you. That means, like, for you to invite people to church. Why would I do that? Because you got a taste of grace. That means you're willing to start conversations. That means you're willing to write checks. That means you're willing to volunteer. That means you're willing to serve at nonprofits because you want to extend the grace that someone extended to you. See, grace, when it gets in your life, it doesn't just save you to one day when you die, you get to go to heaven. It's a catalyst for compassion. It's a catalyst for praise. It's a catalyst for missions. And last, real quick, grace is a catalyst for a godly life. When I say a godly life, I don't mean the weird life. You know what I'm talking about. The kid you don't want to be like. The dude standing on the corner with the sandwich board sign. When I say godly life, I mean the life that God wants us to live. The choices we make the way we treat people, the way we honor him. I want to live the life that Jesus died for me to have on the cross. And grace, I want to live it. I've said this before. I live the life I live, and we should make the choices we make to live a godly life, not as our pleas, but as our thank you. It's not say, God, I'm going to do this. Will you please save me because I've done good things? It's God, because you saved me, thanks. God, I want to honor you, thanks. See, grace is never a gift you can earn, but it's always a gift you can honor. I want to honor the gift of grace in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you've given this to me. Again, Paul, finally, he says this. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called of God. So like every day, I'm, I'm not perfect and I'm going to miss the mark. I'm not trying to get God to love me, but God help me to live away, help me to love away, help me to serve away because I've been impacted by grace. God, I want to celebrate the grace in my life. 
See, when you understand grace, nobody has to beg you to serve in a ministry in church. Because, God, I've been given grace. I want to I serve people. I want to stand at a door. I want to hold a baby, hold a camera. God, I want to do whatever. I want to serve. Whatever will help people experience the grace I've experienced. Nobody has to convince me to give. Nobody bends my arm or breaks me. We freely are generous with the finances God's put in the Husky household. Do you know why? Because we freely receive grace. God, I want to be a dispenser of grace. I want to make grace. I want to finance it. I want to serve it. I want to promote it. I want to shout about it because I want everybody to have the grace I had because I can't save myself and you can't save yourself and your neighbors can't save themselves and your family members can't save themselves and the people you don't like can't save themselves. But Jesus died for all people so all people could find grace because it's grace alone. Grace will pay the bill that my merit never will and it's paid in full. That's why Jesus said on the cross, one word in a language we don't speak today, but he said this, to telestai. It was the last word of Jesus on the cross. And you know what it means? Paid in full. Eric being Rakim, baby. Paid in full. It's paid in full. You can never earn it, but you can receive it. So grace, if you're in this room and you've never opened your heart to grace, if you're wondering how do I get there, am I good enough? You're not. You're not good enough, but God is godly enough to offer a gift we all need. And once you have the gift, it's not just about eternity. It'll change you who you are today. It'll be a catalyst for compassion, a catalyst for praise, a catalyst for missions, and a catalyst for a godly life. How many in this room would be honest enough to say that maybe we need a little more grace in our lives? We need to be more open to it, and we need to do something more with it. Come on, lift your hand if that's you. I want to invite you to stand. I've asked a worship team to lead us in that song, Amazing Grace. And I just want to invite every voice to sing and to declare because of who he is and because of what he's done. Father, we're so grateful. Come on, pray with me as we get ready. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that, God, there would just be a new, a new heart of gratitude in all of our lives because of what you've done. I pray for all of us in this room that wrestle with the question, am I good enough, that it would have been answered today, that we're not. But God, that doesn't mean we can't connect and it doesn't mean we can't have forgiveness because, Jesus, you offer a gift that we could never earn through grace. And so, Lord, as we celebrate it this morning, I pray we'll walk out and live it. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Come on.